ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Hey, man, is anybody else just, like, worn out? I imagine it can't just be me. Like, like this, is anybody else just kind of worn out? So, like, last night I did a, an appearance on CNN, and they sent me the email about it. And they were like, yo, we could do this live at 1045 or uh, we could tape it at 915. I'm like, I don't even know why you brought this 1045 shit up. (laughs) You you asking me if I want to leave my house to do something at 1045 that's going to involve keeping all my clothes on? Nah, give me the 915. Like, that's what's up. So I did the 915 and I go in there, you know, go holler at people at the desk, go in a fancy elevator, get off the elevator, go see the dude at the desk. And I'm like, hey, you know, I'm looking for such and such. And they're like, well, she's not here yet, but uh, you can just go in the green room. Like, I guess he knew what I was there for. Right. He's like, all right, cool. You can just go to makeup, makeup right there. So I go in there. And I sit in the makeup chair, people, of course, being very, very nice. And so I'm just watching what's on the TV and it's Anderson Cooper interviewing the husband of a woman who was on the helicopter with Kobe. And it is a. I'd say. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe the interview, but like the humanity of it really shone through. And like that man was strong as hell, man. Like he was really going through, you know, just life and talking about, you know, the crash itself and all of it. And he had some moments, you know, where he, he quivered a little bit um, under the weight of the emotion. But I just found myself so impressed by how he was handling it and his willingness to share that with people. Um, you know, in the name of the memory of his wife. And also I think, you know, to a degree, like trying to help people um, that were in the same place. And so I get up after they're done with my makeup and they tell me to go into green room. Right. And apparently they got multiple green rooms, but the one they told me to go into, I walk in and I don't know what the hell they must've been thinking, bro. Cause I walked in there and it was all the people that was about to go on, uh, Chromo's show. You remember Chromo? Like Google. So it was like all the people that was about to go on that show. And I don't know if they was having like some pre-show meeting or something because everybody was standing up. But look, this is the green room they told me to go to. I ain't know what was going on. Anybody say nothing? Man, I just walked in that bad boy. I walked through their little semicircle. I went to go like post up in the corner. Like I was confused. Like it was like being on a train and it was people standing in front of the sofa, right? You'd be like, yo. If you want to stand, that's cool, but don't be out here making a dilemma for those of us who would much rather sit down. You know? And I ain't know who to, I mean, I later found out it was the people that was going on Chromo. I had no idea. Uh, it was just people in the room. I mean, you know me. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be in any of these rooms I'm in, so I just walk around like whatever. And then they came and pulled me out. I'm like, okay. And then I go sit down and they put me in a different green room. And so I'm in there and I'm looking at the TV. They got all their TVs on CNN. I'm like, yo, I mean, I understand what y'all are trying to do, but I've already heard of CNN. I mean, maybe it hel- I guess it helps 
because you about to go on the show. You know, you know what's going on or whatever. But, you know. What if I what if I just want to watch something else right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, how you know that? Shouldn't it be about me? Um. Anyway, so I'm sitting in there and I look up and I see Chromo and the people that had just been in his green room that I just barged into as they're wondering who in the hell this dude is in these sneakers. And they on there talking about uh, the impeach. All that stuff that's going on over there. And so I'm watching that for however long they got me watching it. Lady come in and uh, takes me to the set. I was doing it with uh, Don Lemon. And then we talked about Kobe. And I was just like, damn. I don't know about everybody else, but I'm tired. And I feel like everybody else is kind of tired, too. Like, I got an interesting situation. Uh, I mean, I work in sports, so this is the thing. So, like, Monday we're coming in. You know, we're doing a show that's just fully about Kobe Bryant. But, like, the energy is just dead. I mean, how could it not be like, I mean, you know, this is there. And so half the office, you know, was out like to Miami for the Super Bowl. And the rest of us are basically planning a funeral that's running 24 hours on the channel. And then with every day, it's like something else. And like you just, um, I mean, it gets worse, certainly than this. There are people that are certainly grieving in this matter in ways that I am not. But I imagine that other people are kind of in a place where, you know, we just kind of we got hit by this. And I think that for a lot of people, it brought out some things that you didn't even necessarily expect it to for reasons that you don't comprehend. And I don't know if we ever fully will in some of those cases. Um, but man, I'm just kind of beat. And if you kind of beat, understand, I'm kind of beat too. And all I do for money is talk, you know? Anyway, uh, let us move on to your questions. So Trump surrogates are apparently having events in black communities literally give out money for votes. How isn't this a bigger story? I'm going to make a political observation about this. I'm just going to say this because I saw this story, right? I feel like all of us have lived long enough at this point to know that just because you give somebody money don't mean they're going to do what you want them to. Like I imagine the paperwork that is required to directly translate money into votes has to has to be illegal. Right. I'm just saying just just for all y'all out there, you know. It's not how it works when you give people money. All right, let's see what else we got here. Is there a bigger hustle than charging $17 for beef patties at the Super Bowl? They're going to be charging $17 for beef patties at the Super Bowl? You mean like 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 the Jamaican ones? How much is the cocoa bread? $17? You're not even going to get full. They're going to be charging Grey Goose prices on the sodas? 
1750. What did ginger beer cost? Sounds sir. I went to the Super Bowl last year, and that was at the uh at, at the at the, the 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 New Georgia Dome. And you know, they got the super cheap food there. So I ran into a famous person in line. We was just kind of rapping. And I think he wanted to do the thing. Like, no, nah, man, I got you. Like, we was in line for the food, had like a couple hot dogs, drank, you know, I got you, dog. You know, that sort of thing. And I shit, please, you know what I'm saying? Ball in front of me. Man, that shit costs like seven dollars. Like for both of us. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Not sure if you've seen any of the stories lately about 25 and under people on social media. Don't think they can win argument, win political arguments with middle-aged slash seniors. So instead of arguing, they're using memes and whatnot to try to embarrass them away. Is there any logic to this? Or is it as dumb as it sounds on first glance? This is a serious question. Is this really happening? Anybody? Is this actually happening? Is this truly a phenomenon? Or is this something that a couple of people have done? You guys let me know. I don't spend a lot of time interacting with the 25 and under crowd on social media, right? Not, nah, not really. So, like, how much does this go down? This is one thing I do know, just when it comes to talking to younger people about stuff. And I can't blame them because at a point I was this person too. Like, I could recognize it. (sighs) Like, it's so easy not to realize how much you do not know until you get to a point where you know a lot more. That's just what it is. This is how we are at just about every age. And part of it, like, when you think about it, like, think about how smart and grown you thought you were at 18. And then think about it, 22 how much you realize how smart you were not and how grown you were not at 18, but at the same time also believed in how grown and how much you knew now at 22. And then you get to like 27 and you look back at where you were at 22 and realize how much you did not know while also fully believing in how much you do know at age 27. And you play this game up and down the line, right? I'm 39 years old. I would like to think that at 44, I could look back at 39 and be like, yeah, I knew some things then, but I didn't know. You know, like I would hope that that would happen. Like I I would hope that this curve is going to flatten out and reach some level of steady state somewhere along the way, right? That's what you want. So, I mean, I can't get so upset or so offended by 25-year-olds being morons. I mean, like, that's, that's, that's just, that's just kind of sort of how it works out. 
some of them are not going to be interested in discourse with older people. And they're really not going to be interested in discourse with older people that they don't know. There's kind of an interesting middle ground with regards to that, because at that age, you're not necessarily so inclined to want to listen to your parents. And you, those are the people you probably trust the most, but it's a little bit too close to home. And you want to demonstrate that you are like stronger than their influence. That's kind of what you that, you know, it's kind of there. But you also have to be in some way trusted for whatever it is. So, you know, there's like a middle ground between that. Like you need some level of familiarity, but not too much because too much familiarity makes it seem like you're not making your own decisions. But enough familiarity just to make it so that you listen to whoever the person is. And guess what? That's not going to happen with randoms talking to each other on social media. Yeah, like like that's 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 not going to be it. All right, appreciate that question. Let me see what else we got here. How up to date are you on the coronavirus outbreak? And how much does it worry you? I mean, I don't really know how up to date there is to be. I know there's something out here that's that's getting people, you know, um, and we ain't necessarily getting the best information on it. And I got to admit that, like, people catching these diseases and dying in these ways are bad. But they was going to need to help me out a little bit more when they got to a point of, like, explaining exactly what a big deal this was. And what I mean is, you telling me that 50 people like 50 people in China died of a disease. I'm sorry. I can do math. That didn't add up to an outbreak to me. You understand what I'm saying? Like you tell me that 56 people have died of a disease in Asheville, North Carolina. Yo, we got, we got to get a handle on this. You tell me 50 something people in China died. I need to know a little bit more about the area, the population statistics. The numbers are very, very high. It's very hard for me to tell, like, exactly how rampant this thing is. But apparently this thing is rampant and people were trying to get out of the area, understandably, but they might have had some symptoms, but they still want to get out of there. So they was like lying about what their symptoms were. And then they winding up in different places around the world. And I'm just saying Yeah, I've thought about it. I've I've thought a lot. I've thought a lot. It might be time to start walking around with them masks on. Do they really help? Cause like those masks feel a lot to me like what you call it? Uh like weight belts. Like I understand why you think this is doing something for you, but I believe the studies have proven they are not. Yeah, so CDC said the masks don't help. And I wish they did because this is like this is mask season. It's cold outside. I wear that mask outside in the cold. Help keep me warm. But I remember I used to like I had real bad allergies when I was younger. And just because I had real bad allergies didn't mean I didn't have to do my part in like cutting the grass. And so I'd wear like a form of a mask, like a cup, you know, over my face. But it's Houston. And man, it'd be so hot out there. But like in this day, you just got to make sure your breath ain't kicking. And, you know, I think it can it can, you know, it could work out. But but they don't help. I mean, they say CDC saying they don't really help. Damn. 
Yeah, I've thought about it, guys. I've absolutely thought about it. All right, here's a question. Are we the sum total of the worst thing we have ever done in our lives? This sentence is absolutely nonsensical, but I am going to try my best to get to what I think the man is saying, and I am assuming that the question is, are we basically defined by the worst thing we've ever done? Right. Like the sum total of one thing is kind of hard to figure out, but I'm guessing that's what you're saying. Okay. The truth is, there is no answer, like, really to this question because everybody's going to have their own independent conclusion that they draw on such a matter. But, like, I guess how, you know, I don't know. Are we? Guess it kind of depends on what the worst thing is that you did. Like, once the worst thing you've done crosses over a threshold, that kind of works out that way. For example, it's probably been a long time since the first word in a story, like the first descriptor of O.J. Simpson was Hall of Fame running back. I imagine that has not happened since 1994. Right, so is O.J. Simpson the total of the worst thing he's ever done? No, not an application. He's still got people he kicks it with. He's still got places he goes. He still puts up them videos on Twitter and people laugh at him. Right? Like, so the total of who he is is not that. And when he dies, I really don't know how exactly it's going to go. But one point I've made about this as it relates to the situation with Kobe is I think people need to understand that generally speaking, when somebody dies, we say nice things. Like you think about that in your real life. When people die, you say nice things. It's generally how it works. Now, it gets a little different when we start talking about like eulogizing and writing obituaries of public figures because what they are is not personal in that way, but people's natural impulse based on socialization is to lean towards saying something nice about people when they die. The issue is we don't tend to come back when we're having these public discussions to talk about those people again, because the only reason we're talking about them at that time is because they just died. And once we get past the point of the fact that they just died, then we're not going to do like this full reckoning and this full accounting. Right. Like, and I'm not making the argument that, social convention should trump all i'm just saying that it is absolutely a prevalent force in determining how we handle these things but in the end man you're gonna mean different things to different people that's what it's gonna be it's not gonna be some easy simple consensus and so some people yeah the worst thing you do is going to be the thing about you some people is going to be the best. But if you're looking for a simple answer, man, that ain't coming. All right. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here.
The reselling, okay. All right. I think I know what the gentleman is talking about. So, apparently, or the story bounced around on the internet that after Kobe died, shoe resellers were jacking up the price on Kobe gear. And that obviously led to charges of exploitation and people saying that they were basically that there was profiteering off of Kobe's death. And I got to tell you, my thought when I heard that was, well, yeah. I don't really see what the problem is. Do you see what the problem is? Like, I get why people would say jacking the price up is a cold and heartless thing to do in that moment. I also think it's fair to say that it would be kind of bizarre if you found out Kobe died and the first thing you tried to do was go get some shoes. Just a thought. And by the way, I saw something and I could be wrong about this, but I saw something that said that it actually turned out that people really hadn't jacked prices up as much as immediately after news of Kobe's death started to spread, the merchandise sold out. Okay. The merchandise is selling out. If I'm a person who sells merchandise, why am I not raising the price on this? Let's say all of a sudden now, these Kobe's are too expensive for you to buy. Have I stunted your grieving process? Like, what have I done to you? I don't think I've really done anything. Also, they're, they're going to keep cranking out this Kobe gear. And in fact, Nike about to give you some RIP Kobe gear. You know it's on the way. Are you good with that? Like, yo, man, that's, I'm sorry. To me, that's just, that's just the game. Like, we made the decision. We're going to engage in that game. That right there is just the game. Like, let me ask you this. And this is a serious question. Like, if I were to sell vinyl, okay, and I'm looking over here, and I say, Exile on Main Street, right? Let's say we find out that Mick Jagger dies. And people online snapping up all the copies of Exile on Main Street. Am I wrong if I raise the price on that record? Like, would you have a problem with me raising the price on reselling a record? You probably wouldn't. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here.
In the last couple of days, a film producer said seriously that Lethal Weapon 5 is on the way. Have we pretty much killed nostalgia at this point? We may have killed nostalgia at this point. I think, I mean, they just decided, look, why try something new when we got this stuff that we know works? Did, wasn't there a Lethal Weapon TV show starring Damon Wayans not that long ago? Y'all remember that? Is it still is it still in the league? Like I don't remember. Anyway, I could actually see some potential in a lethal weapon five. Cause I kind of feel like as we've seen things go over the years, like is Mel Gibson gonna be is it gonna be Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in this lethal weapon five? Or oh, it's actually gonna be them? Okay, so um, is this going to be the story of how their friendship held up after Murtaugh found out that Riggs had voted for Trump? Like, is that is that not the movie right there? Like, they're mad at each other the whole way? about politics all the time. And Murtaugh being like, yo, don't you remember when we was out here uh, putting in work against them South Africans? You remember that? Just saying. I got to say, by the way, in retrospect, I, I feel like we might not give Mel Gibson enough credit for his performance in Lethal Weapon 2 because he really made it seem like he had, like, serious beef and grievances with them apartheid folks, and I don't believe that he does. I feel like he had to become a whole different person to get to that place. I mean, he might. He might. Is he the one that was in the, the packet in word story? Right, that was him, right? Yeah, 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 I'm just saying. That was a great thespianic performance. Appreciate the question. See what else we got here. Do you think we'll descend into violence a lot of civil war where people are getting beat down on the Senate floor? I, I don't know if it'll get to the point of people getting beat down on the Senate floor, but I got to say, I watch videos from time to time. We just had this come up on Highly Questionable a lot. Then videos that come up from them countries where folks be fighting in the chambers, like in the Congress. Y'all seen those? And I got to say, I imagine it would probably be pretty embarrassing if that happened in the United States. But when I watch them videos, when that happens in other countries, I always find it to be highly entertaining. I think it would be hilarious. Like, I should probably be ashamed of those things, but, you know, tends to be, they tend to be crowd pleasers. Oh, appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. Hold on, guys. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. 
What is wrong with Pastor Troy? Was he ever close to winning a Grammy? So you may have seen this. Pastor Troy took a picture of Lil Nas X in this pink suit, and basically, was he basically on the like, like, like the gay agenda type kick, where they 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 try to make us gay? Like that's that's basically where he was on it. And you know what was funny about what he said? If he didn't know who Lil Nas X was, and somebody showed him that picture in that pink suit and said that dude was a pimp, everything would have been all right. Like he'd have been good if he said he was a pimp. Like, what's confusing me about that, I don't even know what's confusing. Like, I, I just can't imagine sitting at the crib and being like, yo, the world needs to hear me say this. Especially when, you know, look, man, um, No More Playing GA is an all-time classic. No More Playing GA is 21 years old. No, you're not going to win no Grammy, my dude. And, man, you can go wear that. In fact, go, in fact, go try it. I mean, he ain't going to try it. But you go put on that same suit Lil Nas X had on. That ain't going to get you no Grammy partner. Appreciate the question. See if we got anything else here. Now, who I don't know who this guy is that's pretending to be Jan Michael Vincent who said, how well known should Pastor Troy be? Folks from GA even saying they never heard of him. Those people who are saying they never heard of Pastor Troy are not very old. You must be a child. Like, don't trip. Don't trip. The man got classics. And honestly, if they ain't never heard of No More Playing GA, that's how they was raised. Bad parents, it remains rampant. All right, let me see if there's anything else. How ashy is Terry Crews at this point? You know, I've seen the things that Terry Crews been doing and like the thing with Gabrielle Union, his whole play on that was just backwards, right? Like he's like, sexism, I can't speak on because I'm a man, but I can tell you about this. And and, uh, none of his explanation didn't make any sense because his big thing is it's the most diverse place that I've ever worked as though diversity and racism like can't exist in the same space. I assure you they can't. Um, but look, I'm somebody that has like through the years gone back and forth with people on Twitter. You notice I don't do it nearly as much now as I used to, but as somebody like, I can't say I don't fully get it, but I, I feel like that dude, like this, I can tell you, I will argue with my mentions. Like I'm arguing with people who are saying things directly to me a place that I've never really felt like I was, was in the place where I got to go say something to these people on Twitter. And that seems to be the place that he's in. You know what I mean? Like, I got to say this to these people, you know? They need to hear, nah, man, you can't win. Like, I didn't think that people who had that much damn money got this much value out of doing that on them tweets. That ain't a place to do a whole lot of winning. What you can do, though, is a whole lot of losing.
whole lot. Appreciate the question. See what we got here. Hey, Bo, now that you're not on the radio, do you miss all that space to put out your thoughts? Nah, not really. I think, like, especially over the last 10 years, y'all have gotten a lot of my thoughts for free. Yeah, I don't need that many more. It's probably good for me <laughs> that I don't. Nah, I just don't have that much that I absolutely have to say. Yeah, we get it. It's about a half hour. That's good enough. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this thing every week or two. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you can't watch the Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. Uh, we're also at the Google Play Store. And, uh, yeah, talk to you guys soon.